2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. You are listening to Intuit from Vulture and New York Magazine. I'm Sam Sanders, your host, and I'm joined this week by another host with the most, the Ira Madison III. He hosts the lovely pop culture show Keep It from Crooked Media. Ira, so good to have you here today. Thanks for coming on the show. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be on your your new podcast. One of Listen, them. You, know, you got so many. One of them. Working these jobs. <laughs> Listen, I got two dogs to put through doggy college, and it's not cheap these days, okay? You know what? You don't work jobs. You are a job, okay? Like the city girl said. <laughs> yes, yes. So later on in the show, we are so blessed to have with us James Wan. He's one of the producers of the blockbuster Megan, m 3 Gun as I call it. We're going to talk about mm. Megan a bit later in the show, but first we're going to play a game with you. I do have to ask, though, briefly, you've, you've seen... You've seen this movie, right? You've seen Megan. Of course I've seen Megan. Of course I've How seen Mother. How many times? How many times? <laughs> Only twice. Only twice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Does it get better with the second viewing or worse? I think it does. You know, you just got to be lit both times. And you know, you're like, <laughs> let's do it. Ira, I think this is your first time on Intuit, which means you have not previously played our signature game, Intuit, not Intuit. Is that correct? I have it. Okay, okay. I will share with you three stories from the pop culture, from the zeitgeist. And you will just tell me if you're into or not into these things. And at the okay. end of the game, I will tell you if you've won or lost based on how much I like your opinions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah? I love yeah? that. Okay. I love an arbitrary game. It's so arbitrary. There are no prizes. It's it's so arbitrary. <laughs> First question, are you into or not into Madonna going on tour again this year? It was just announced this week. 80s, 90s, 2000s, four decades of music, avec moi, MLVC. Welcome to the party, bitches. I'm into it. I'm into it. You I are. Mean, listen, you I, are. I love. I listen. I love Madge. I always support Leos in all of their endeavors. All um, Leos, all the time. That's a lot. Yeah, you know what? It's 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 hard out there, you know. And someone <laughs> has to support us because um, okay. you know no one ever talks about Leos. You know, I don't think we get enough attention. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So uh, this tour, it's called the Celebration Tour. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a retrospective of Madonna's four decades making music. Uh, tickets go on sale Friday. She already had this like teaser trailer video full of celebrities. I got to say, though, Ira, I'm worried and I'm not sure I'm into this yet. I love Madonna. I love Madonna. 
But her behavior these last few years has felt a little bit erratic. And I'm not sure what that energy is going to look like on a stage right now. That's fair. I will say that I paid good money to see the Madame X tour. And How was that? that? Was, that was like being held prisoner. Because, um, you know, we have to turn <laughs> on our phones details. and everything. You know, you wait it forever for her to show up. But that was just like Madame X. And, you know, like she don't like to play her hits. She wasn't doing hits? No. She did like a couple of them. But, you know, like the Madonna has always had this push and pull with her fans about the set list for her songs. Because, like, she did The Girly Show in like 93. And then her next tour was until 2001, Drowned World, which was for like ray of light and music and she mostly played songs from that album and that was the first time where the fans were like um oh you're not gonna play the old stuff for us anymore so this is her this is her doing like her taylor swift eras you know it's like she's giving she's giving the fans the hits she's gonna Give come them what on they vogue want. Give them you what know they want. i, I want a little Listen. cause and a commotion i'm gonna need know. lucky star up in there all of it yeah all so it. i will be there for that I mean, I guess my thing right now, as we enter this year, 2023, in general, I'm worried about tours. I'm worried about divas going on tour because, like, after watching what Taylor fans went through trying to get tickets to her tour, I'm like, Ugh, mm-hmm. is it going to be that way for Beyonce tickets? Is it going to be that way for Madonna tickets? Should I just not even try? I'm Beyonce scared. ain't going on tour. Ah! Don't say it. Don't say it. She's going to give us visuals and a tour in 2023. You heard heard single ladies like a ghost, I'll be gone. And we have not (laughs) heard from her since she dropped Renaissance. I want to believe. Six months ago. I want to believe. Every now and then I'll hear friends say, oh, people saw Beyonce filming a thing at this place the other day. And I'm like, maybe, maybe. She has been gone for half of a year, okay? Listen, and I can't blame her. If I could disappear, (laughs) I would too. (laughs) All right, next question for you, Ira. Are you into or not into a reboot of the classic show, Frasier? Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Not into. Yeah, same. Don't screw with perfection. That was a perfect show. I love that show so much. Frasier was good. <laughs> leave it alone. You know, leave it alone. Did you watch well, Frasier? I'm, I loved Frasier. Uh, mostly just because, you know, like the whole gang won't be back. Oh, yeah. This is what's crazy. So apparently the series will not include Niles Crane, Frasier's mm-hmm. brother, played by David Hyde Pierce. What was it the Yale Daily News said about your tartuffe? Oh, who remembers that I had the magnetism of Marlon Brando, the charm of Danny Kaye, and the range of Lawrence Olivier? <laughs> It will not include Daphne, the housekeeper. It will not include Roz, Frasier's producer. It will not be set in Seattle. Uh, Mm -hmm. It will center on Frasier Crane's son, who, okay. Um, There's also a British professor character named Alan Cornwall. It's a different show. Don't call it Frasier. It just feels craven to me. It just feels like they're just doing the thing where it's like, let's call it a thing people will know so we can hopefully get more eyeballs. But it's a big old bait and switch because you turn the show on, it's not Frasier. Yeah, it's a little scam, you know. Um, However, you know, if I were to get a job on that show, um, I would be (laughs) in full support of it. (laughs) 
will you write the original characters into the show if you get <laughs> a job writing on the show? No, I'd write some, you know, like I'd write the Che Diaz of Frasier. Oh, let's let's spin this one out. Who is the Che Diaz of Frasier? I want to know. I feel like a black trans character, you know, who's telling Frasier like it is on a podcast. I'm sure Frasier's going to be podcasting now. Oh, has to be. Has to be. Yeah. So we are both feeling the same kind of way about Frasier. Last question for you, Ira. Are you into or not into that pink sauce from TikTok, which last year kind of flopped, but is now mm-hmm. being sold in more than 4,000 Walmarts across the country. What do you mean FDA approved? I don't sell medical products. The pink sauce is not a medical product. Um, I'm into it. I'm never going to taste it. I'm never well, going to taste okay, it. But you, I'm in never going to taste it. In order to be into it. the sauce, you have to agree to actually digest the sauce. Would you? I'm into a black woman getting a bag. Okay. Okay. Same. <laughs> that. Same. And Same. since it's in stores, that means that she must have linked up with somebody who knows what the FDA is, finally. <sighs> so for those okay. who didn't catch this story last year when it happened, uh... Veronica Shaw, a.k.a. Chef Pie, blew up on TikTok last year promoting what she was calling her pink sauce. Uh, The ingredients, according to Dave's Gourmet Specialty Food, which is partnered with her to sell the line in Walmart, it contains dragon fruit puree, canola oil, coconut cream, water, sugar, distilled white vinegar, garlic, and ranch flavor. It's been described as a tangy, slightly sweet twist on ranch. And now it's in Walmart. But last year when she launched this, it had a time. There were major questions about the nutritional label facts, questions about whether milk was in the sauce or not. And she when was just she was trying it from to home. She was sending the sauce from home and in transit to people's houses, some bottles burst <laughs> and leaked during shipping. <laughs> Does this make you more or less a fan of food TikTok. I got to say, I'm starting to be over everyone on my TikTok doing something with food while I'm just sitting at home ordering Jack in the Box. I love food TikTok, but like I follow like chefs. Like the real deal. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like, the only people I follow who do the crazy stuff are like, um, I love that black woman who, um, isn't that unusual or something? What does she say? Everybody's so creative. Oh, look, a burger face. I bet you never thought about making yourself a burger face and put your little egg yolks right inside to make the eyes and the mouth. <laughs> she's like amazing, that, but she's just dragging but, other TikTok chefs. Yes, yeah. but I do not follow anybody who's like, you know, being like, sweetie, okay? Just like, I feel like she helped start that too. Now, you're not supposed to do this, but this how I do it. When she would be like making videos of just like, I'm eating ramen noodles that I put um, ranch in and also French fries. Like, that's like, that's the weird stuff that she was doing. But she turned that into like the sweetie meal at McDonald's. So, you know what? Who am I to say? So, I'm gonna put some fries on my Big Mac or top my fries with chicken McNuggets. Before TikTok, I had no idea all of y'all were in your kitchens that much, making that much food all the time. Because not they I. They weren't. Right. Right. I feel like and lockdown like everyone's started that. doing it now. And now TikTok is like, aside from just food, you know, like TikTok is like, 
I know too many things about my friends. I know who can't <laughs> dance. I know who has a very boring life. Um, wow. That they, that they update you on like it's, um, you know, like the Bolsheviks invading. Like they're literally giving you an update, like beat to beat minutes of, well, this is what I did with my day. And I'm like, so you went to pick up your mail. Yeah. And then I mean, the worst Starbucks. is, and not worst, but most uh, confessorial is uh, Instagram close friends stories. One, mm. I didn't ask any of y'all to put me in your close friends. And two, just put some clothes on. This is this is this is this. Put some clothes on. I'm. I, we're good. I I know I you're hot. I prefer that. Tell. I prefer that to people who put <laughs> things in their close friends where it's very innocuous. It's like you can't let people at work know that you read in a book or that you ha- or that you got coffee today. Come on. <laughs> Anywho, you are into a Madonna tour. I'm not. We are both kind of against whatever this Frasier reboot is. Mm-hmm. And we're happy for Chef Pie and the Pink Sauce. Yeah. Um, I'll forgive you for trusting that this Madonna tour might be good because <laughs> I hear you're a super Madonna stan, and I'll, and I'll give that to you. So in spite of that, you won. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, I feel like you got to support Leo's, you know? I'm supporting, like, Jennifer Lopez today. Today? You know, What's today? She had some interview where she... <laughs> I feel like she's lying. But she she <laughs> claims that she was initially supposed to be the person that Madonna kissed after Britney at the VMAs in 2003. I was filming a movie in Canada, and we had, we had met me, her, and Britney to do it um, at her home. And then it just... I just couldn't get off the film, and so we couldn't do it. And so I guess they, you know, then they got somebody. They got Christina Aguilera, I think, to do it. She's so shady. Stop doing that. (laughs) There's no reason to hop into that story, Jennifer Lopez. Go hang with Ben at Dunkin' Donuts, okay? Uh, You know she saw Madonna trending, and she was like, "Oh well, you know what? Let me get in this. Let let me get let me get the news cycle about me." Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Ira Madison III, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, you can catch his show, Keep It, from Crooked Media every, every week. Ira, come back on this show anytime you want. All right. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. 
Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Fox Creative. This is advertiser content from 26.2 Team Milk and their new docu-series, Running Sucks. Is running the worst? Yeah. Do you love it? Do you hate it? I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it so freaking much. That you're a real runner now! I did it. <laughs> I'm Abby Ayers, a 37-year-old mom from Utah who found herself running across the Manhattan Bridge in my first race ever. Running Sucks celebrates women who run and the running communities that carry them across the finish line. Running helped me in so many ways postpartum. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. For every person like you, I'm telling you you belong, and I'm telling you you can do it. I never thought the words would leave my mouth, but yes, I'm planning on running a marathon. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing, because, like, who would have thought? Watch Running Sucks at runningsuckstheseries.com and learn more about how Team Milk is helping women runners across the country conquer their next course. The campy horror thriller Megan, or M3gan as I like to call it, it has lived in my head, rent-free as the kids say, for months now. Hi Megan, I'm Katie. And then I saw the movie in theaters the other week, and it was the most fun I'd had in a movie theater in quite some time. It's nice to meet you, Katie. Do you want to hang out? Okay. You've heard of this film by now. It's got a four-foot-tall AI doll that is made to be a child's best friend, but ends up killing anyone who might get in the way of her and that child. Megan, turn off. I thought we were having a conversation. For weeks now, all I want to do is talk about Megan, how it's so weird and yet it works, how it's a bigger hit than anyone expected, how it's already queer canon, and how it counterproves this theory I have that horror always wins. Horror is always consistently bankable at the box office. To discuss all of these things, I am very honored to welcome James Wan onto the show. He produced Megan, and he's kind of a horror king. My goal is to scare myself. If I can scare myself (laughs) with my ideas and my concept and all that, then, you know, there's a very good chance that there's a group of people out there that would feel the same way as I do. James made the Saw horror films. Live or die. Make your choice. He created the cinematic universe that exists around the horror film, The Conjuring. You have a lot of spirits in here. And he's done a whole lot more. It's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. Let's talk about Megan. This is the movie I cannot stop thinking about, cannot stop talking about. I've got three or four group chats that are just Megan gifts and memes. (laughs) I love this movie so much. It is a big, big hit. Um, my first question for you is, are you surprised? Were you surprised by the runaway success of this film? It exceeded just about every expectation of it. Did you expect such a big reception for such a specific film? Right. Um, 
I knew that there was going to be a group of people that would enjoy a film like this. Um, you know, a group of people that, that loves horror films. And then specifically on top of that, the uh, scary doll subgenre of, of horror, right? So, so I, knew that, <laughs> yeah. I knew that there'd be a, a very particular, specific niche that would dig it. But for it to blow up as big as it did, that definitely um, was something that kind of got me pleasantly by surprise. So then why do you think it did? Is it was it just the doll factor? Was it the really amazing videos I've been seeing of this doll for months now? Was it Allison Williams? What, like, what was the secret sauce in your opinion? I think it's a combination of everything. I think it's a combination of all those things that you mentioned. I think uh, you know, first and foremost, the movie works really well. That's because you know um, Gerard Johnston made a great movie. He directed a really terrific movie, and, and the cast were brilliant. The script by Akela was brilliant as well. And so you know we had a lot of the ingredients in place to make a good, solid, strong movie. And the fact that Universal's marketing really leaned into the things that made it unique. And obviously the dancing Megan, the dancing the, doll, the dancing doll, and not even just dancing like. Body rolling, winding. <laughs> like, I'm really interested into the secret sauce to getting the look of Megan just right. I expected it to look very CGI-ish, but she didn't. Right. She felt human, but also always still felt like you were watching a robotic doll. Right. What was the trade? What 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 is the most exclusive trade secret you can reveal about how the look of Megan worked and how you kept that doll out of the uncanny valley she possibly could have ended up in uh okay yes i i would say that um very early on um you know uh we all collectively felt that megan had to work right because the whole movie's kind of built around this character it's named after her yeah, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And, and and if we couldn't get her you know being scary or have a threatening personality when she needed to be or, or just be cheeky when she needs to be right none of that would work and uh, and so early on in terms of the visual gerard and myself you know we kind of like kind of talk about certain things you know he he kind of wanted to lean megan more realistic and uh and i reminded him that uh what makes a lot of creepy doll movies creepy is the fact that they actually steal a doll and so i think you know between the two of us we found a medium ground where we had characters in the movie that sees her, you know, in the window from a distance and they think it's a real person. But up close, clearly you look at it and you're like, yeah, what, what the hell is this thing? Exactly. This thing's not human. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I think that's what makes Megan creepy is she's kind of neither here nor there, but she still has a lot of personality to yeah. her. It's funny to hear you say that because now I have to take back my comment that you kept it out of the uncanny valley. Why it works is because Megan lives in the uncanny valley. She's not quite human. She's not <laughs> that, quite doll, right? Like that's what makes her creepy. That's right. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay. And, and the irony is, you know, usually for, you know, for movies when we do effects, we try to stay out of the uncanny valley. And I actually think the uncanny valley aspect of Megan is what makes her work. Mm. It is what adds to the creepiness of the character. I love it. I love it. Um, I want to get big picture on horror as a genre, but I have one last Megan specific question for you. Oh, why? I cannot tell you why. I cannot put my finger on it. But this movie feels very queer-coded. It feels gay. Was that on purpose? No, I, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think that was the goal. But, but I love it that, uh, you know, that any of the movies that I make or direct or produce, you know, I always find, you know, um, 
there's a, a group of people that read into it in a much stronger way. Mm. And I think that that is an incredible thing because you want your films to work on different levels, right? You know, you, you make your movies in such a way and, you, you know, you, you have sort of thematic sort of commentaries you want to make and, uh, and then you want to kind of hit all this stuff and, and then there are certain things that are personal for you. But it's always even better when people out there kind of like latch onto it and make the film their own. And I uh, and and I do think um, you know Megan has that kind of re- re- relatability. To She's her. a gay icon, is what it is. Well, She's a gay icon. She has become. You've that. heard this before, though, right? Like people have said that like Saw is kind of queer too. Um, Saw, so Annabelle, and even Malignant to uh, you know my previous movie to some degree. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I love. I love that. Um, I do want to go big picture on a horror, but I have one last question for you about Megan before we move on from that. What's your favorite creepy doll? Oof. In movies or just in general? Um, Both. I, I, I would say that the creepy clown doll in Poltergeist, the Toby Hooper Poltergeist, mm. was the doll that scarred me at a very young age. That Poltergeist was the movie that kind of like made me terrified of horror films and made me fall in love with horror yeah. films. And I would and say And you've kind of that, honored Poltergeist in some of your work, right? Yeah, probably Insidious would be the closest to that. Um, okay, in, in that it, they play sort of, you know, with similar themes. Mine is just, I mean, and just because I'm, I'm simple like that, it's got to be Chucky. Well, and now Megan, but like that Chucky doll speaks to my childhood. My mother, because she's funny, uh, she let my brother and I watch Child's Play way too young. I think I saw the first one. I was like eight or nine. And she knew it freaked us the hell out. So she got a doll that looked like Chucky and will hide it around the house. And we would just <laughs> find it and lose right. our shit. So that doll will always yeah, speak listen, to me. Ch- Chucky is de- There's no doubt Ch- Chucky is uh, one of the grandfathers of uh, scary dolls out there. Um, you know, Chucky is a classic killer doll, right? Like he actually gets up and walks around and kill people. Yes. Um, but the kind of movies that I grew up with that I find that I found scary when I was growing up were more creepy dolls, but that they were more sort of they work on more of a psychological level, like ventriloquism and ventriloquist doll, where like the ventriloquist himself would put life into uh, into this inanimate object and give it life, right? So yeah. I find those scary, but Chucky definitely is like, you know, the grandfather of uh, the OGs. In a three-way fight, the poltergeist doll, <laughs> Megan, and Chucky, who wins? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Chucky is the spirit of one serial killer in him, right? Whereas yes. Megan, because she's AI, her body is just a vessel. So she can kind of put herself into multiple objects. You know, mm. She can put herself into multiple dolls and, uh, and she could kind of infiltrate your smart car, your smart house into your Siri. Megan has kind of a, a wider stretch, you know, okay. like a wider reach, I mean. Okay. But, okay. but Chucky is, you know, is almost unkillable. So. I guess you were going to pick Megan, and that's fine. That's fine. I kind of have to. <laughs> you have to, and that's all. Yeah, allowed. but I love Chucky as well. I love Charles' play, so right. I'm always going to give oh, him yeah. love. Oh, yeah, it's so good. It's the so love good. that it deserves. <gasps> yeah. One thing I've been thinking about horror specifically in the last few years a lot as, like, streaming and TV and movies just feels like it's in flux. And people have been writing a lot about this as well. It's not just me saying it. Um but horror always seems to win, 
even in this totally strange and unpredictable TV and movie environment, horror is reliably bankable at the movie box Mm -hmm. office. And it's bankable at streaming, even as entire other genres of film and TV seem to be collapsing. Why do you think horror is so consistently successful? Because I do think people love the experience of sitting in a dark, in a big dark theater with other strangers and going on this incredible, crazy roller coaster ride of emotion. And I think a lot of that is primal. It takes us back to, you know, when our ancestors were sitting around the campfire telling each other stories in the dark about monsters and spirits. You know, that is entrenching us in, a, in our soul uh, in a deep, deep way. And I think, um, you know, it, it still plays strongly to that. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, I'm very thankful for. Yeah. You know, I, it, it's funny hearing you talk about why horror works. I remember how I felt going into the theater to see Megan. And I felt the same way I feel about every time I go to see a horror movie. You know, and you're expecting, and you're wanting those moments you know you're always going to get from a good horror film. Like, I knew at some point I was going to tell some white woman on screen to not go into that room, (laughs) and she was going to go into that room. And I wanted that feeling. And when I was in there watching Megan, we got to that moment where I was telling some white girl on the screen, don't go in that room. And someone three seats down whispered the same thing. Don't go into that room. And you're just like, I need that. And, like, there's there's a certain reliable enjoyment that horror can always give you. That you yes. like well, it's predictable is too unkind of a word, but it feels it, right. it feels um, it feels known. It's a communal it, experience. There you go. That's what I say. Yes, it, yes. It, it, it's a shared communal experience. Oh yeah, I love being scared around strangers for whatever reason. I love being scared around strangers. Right. I don't want to cry around strangers. I want to cry to a really sad movie at home alone. But if <laughs> right. I got to be scared, let me be right. scared with strangers. I love yes. it. And I think that comes back to, um, you know, just it's a very primal human thing of uh, we want to go on this really scary journey, get, gets our heart pumping, takes us to the edge of the cliff. But then, you know, at the end of the day, you're still in the safety of this theater cinema and the lights are going to come on and you're going to walk out of there feeling good or, or whatever. Right. And feeling and, smart uh, and because think- you would never be the white girl that walks through that door that you said don't walk through. It like allows you to feel like you're smarter than all of them. I don't know. It can, just always can I, works. Uh, can I tell you though? Like I've found myself many moments in my everyday life. You know, like at nighttime, if I hear something or I go somewhere and I think that there may be someone out there, <laughs> I actually go, "Hello, is someone there?" <laughs> I've actually found myself to have done that. So, uh, so you know, so I, I kind of like love give, it. Give crap yeah. to the characters in movies because I've done shit like that myself. Sorry, you can beep that out. Sorry. No, no, it stays. It stays. I love it. Um, do you ever tell yourself to not open that door? Let me tell you, I've opened the door. I've grabbed a baseball bat, whatever, whatever weapon I have nearby, and I've opened the door, stuck my head out to check. And, uh, and these are all classic horror movie tropes that you should yes. do. I should know better. I love to imagine the most successful horror film creator of our time sleeping with a baseball bat (laughs) next to his bed because, you know, you got to. (laughs) You have to. Yeah. Can I tell you my theory about why horror always succeeds? Please. Um, I think horror always works because horror allows us to think about grief. I think in general, 
the Western world and especially America, we don't handle grief well at all. We avoid right. it or we wrap it in euphemism until it's actually something shallow. But good horror deals with the same things that we would deal with if we actually allowed ourselves to process grief. Good horror deals with what happens after we die. It asks the question, what is the line between life and death? Right. It asks how our past and the dead linger on after they're gone. Horror deals with all of that. So in actuality, right. horror deals with grief. And I think we know that subconsciously and we're drawn to that because the real world outside of the movie theater is a world in which we don't really allow ourselves to think about those things or feel those feelings. Right. Am yes. I wrong to think that? I I think, you know, I think you're right. I think that's a potentially a big part of it. And, you know, you're right in the sense that um, horror movies deal with death in a big way. You know, uh, it touches on the idea that they may be life after death, right? So, like, you know, so that's why people love sort of scary, su supernatural movies, yeah. you know, with potentially ghosts and the afterlife and, and, and demons and stuff like that. And even though in a horror movie, we obviously lean into the scary aspect of that, but uh, but there's also the more positive aspect of that, which is, hey, there's more to life than what we're living right now. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say as well with horror films is it's actually very, very topical. You know, if you look mm. back through history, look through every decade, the movies, the horror films that kind of connect the most with audiences or that have worked the best were horror films that is a reflection of the society and the time period it was made Oh, in. yeah. Even Megan deals you know, with the concept of AI, which scares the hell out of me it. right now, you know? Yeah, Megan deals with a very topical theme, right? You know, and uh, and Jordan Peele with Get Out dealt with a very topical theme. And uh, then you can go back further, you know, like um, Night of the Living Dead. That was George Romero dealing with the Vietnam War and all the atrocities and horrors that, that the Americans were seeing. And, and he put that into his films, right? Mm. And ironically, yeah. horror films have played best when the world is in some kind of turmoil. It's really weird. Oh, it's like when the world kind of goes through like a dark yeah. period, horror film yeah. seems to flourish even more. Huh. I believe that. I sure do believe that. You know, we talked about how Megan feels very queer-coded. And when I think about it, horror films for me seem to be this space within a film that is very welcoming to people from marginalized backgrounds. You know, Megan mm -hmm. was co-written with the black woman, Akela Cooper. We've discussed mm -hmm. how gay Megan feels. I can think of the new slasher stars of our day. A lot of them are not white. I mean, you have become a kingmaker in horror as an Asian creative. What mm -hmm. do you think it is about horror that seems to, at least to me, make it really resonate and work with and for people from marginalized backgrounds? Well, firstly, just for myself, um, I know it's not necessarily on the surface, but I always, I grew up with a lot of really great Chinese ghost stories. That's just the mm. stuff that I grew up with that I love. Okay. I love hearing ghost stories and superstitious stories from my grandparents, yeah. from my aunties and uncles uh, in, in, in Malaysia. And, uh, and, I always try to kind of fit them somehow into my movies, um, definitely in the insidious films. I grew up hearing stories about a Chinese ghost bride, you know, that was wrong, you know, and then she took her on live. And so 
we have a little bit elements of that in Insidious, and and it also came back a little bit in the Conjuring sort of Conjuring films. Uh, actually, in the Annabelle in the Annabelle three, and and just sort of like the demon character in the first Insidious had a bit of that just from stories that I I heard growing up. I think just culturally, we all have ghost stories from mm. different parts of the world. Yeah. They touch on them on a different level. Obviously, you know, um, to give you an example, um, you know, sort of. Japanese cultures, Japanese is boogeyman, for example, doesn't live under your bed, right? Mm. You know, like the bed is generally on the floor. And so there's nothing underneath the floor because your bed is right on the floor. So just culturally, it it works a bit differently. Um, Coming back to what you're saying about how it resonates with sort of a marginalized um, sort of, you know, group of people, I think, um, I really think it's because when you grow up being marginalized, you know, you kind of look at these movies and a lot of times the horror genre for the longest time was seen as the black sheep. Now, Mm. back in the days when I was growing up, and I'm making myself sound very old here, Mm. people would talk about horror like it's like a dirty word, right? And so if you look at the horror community, we kind of still see ourselves as outcast. And so it became a mm. bit of a club for us, sort of marginalized people, you know, wh- whether you're just a horror nerd or you're a goth or, or you're someone from a different racial background or different sort of sexual background and sexual orientation and all that stuff. You know, there's something about the horror genre that ha- has always been yeah. this icon for the people that don't necessarily have a strong voice. Last question for you. Tell me everything you can tell me about the Megan sequel. There's got to be one. There's going to be one. What's the new doll like? Because, I I mean, we already know from the first one that uh, she could be BIPOC. She could, like, this doll could do anything. There's, like, six available skin tones. You you could take this doll anywhere. I want you to tell me that, like, the new Megan, I don't know has box braids and an accent. Tell me anything you can about the new Megan, <laughs> the next Megan. Well, what I would say right now is, um, you know, we we feel like we have, we've set a very high bar of the first one. So uh, so we don't want to just cobble anything together. We want to take our time to think about the story, think about the world and think about how to sort of continue this story and and do justice to the character that people love from this first film. So, uh, so that's first and foremost that I want to, touch on um secondly the the other thing I, I guess i will say is you know we we sort of touch you know pretty decent on on the ai aspect of the world right the artificial intelligence of the world yeah, we uh yeah. we we really believe and i think we should kind of dive deeper into that world we have the we have ideas of a smart car smart house you know uh and let's see where else not the smart car horror film (laughs) do that an evil tesla trying to kill you oh my god uh well yes the the, the idea would be to delve deeper into the ai i love it i love it My last request, I need an eight-minute choreo sequence in the next one. I need those dolls. Da- I need, like, eight eight or nine dolls dancing for, like, ten minutes. 
Promise me that, please. Promise me that. Like a, like a, a classic Bob Fosse opening sequence, right? <laughs> yes! We need some Fosse doll up in here. Okay, you heard it here first, right. listeners. We are getting major choreo in Megan 2, the sequel. Oh, I cannot wait. Thank you so much. Um, it's been an honor to talk with you. Thanks for the work you do. It's brought me so much joy. Thank you, Sam. I appreciate it. This has been fun. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you. Haunting me. Haunting all of us. For better or worse. Hi, this is Alex Suskin. I'm a senior editor at Vulture, and this week I'm being haunted, like I am every January, by the lineup poster for Coachella. This poster is more than just an announcement of who is going to perform at America's premier music festival slash LA Trust Fund Kid Hangout. It is basically, let's call it um, a high school superlatives bulletin of who we should think are the coolest and best artists in music. It's one of the best lineups I've seen in recent memory, especially with Bad Bunny and Blackpink and Frank Ocean headlining. Yeah, yeah. Uh. But uh, per usual, it's everything below the headliners that's keeping me up at night. Like, why is Eric Pride so high on this poster? Why is Ray Shremmerd so low? Where are all the A-list rap stars? What's with all the 90s electronica? Does anyone actually enjoy Youngblood's music? I was born in a messed up century. Is this poster telling me that rock is dead? Should I know who who made who is? Why is Jai Paul coming out of hibernation? Who are the desert Kawea bird singers? Is Calvin Harris just there as a standby in case Frank Ocean doesn't show up? When I met you in the summer. How much of Golden Voices' money did Kate Bush turn down to perform this year? And that is just the tip of the iceberg. Of course, if you um, happen to know answers to any of these questions, you can always deliver them via Coachella Flower Crown to Alex Suskin. That's me, courtesy of Vulture. And um, please help me sleep again. Hi, Sam. My name's Katie. And my culture, guys, comes from when I watched The Sopranos for the first time a few years ago. Ever since, every time I have leftover spaghetti, I hear Carmela Soprano from the end of the first episode of the second season. You alright? Yeah. When she asked Tony if he wants some cold pasta. Want a little cold pasta? I can microwave it. I have no idea why that of all lines from such an iconic show <laughs> stuck with me, but I guess that's just the power of Edie Falco. Hi, Sam. This is Erica in Minneapolis, and my culture geist is a laugh, a laugh that makes me laugh every time I hear it. It makes me laugh even thinking about it. And it's a laugh that belongs to Danish actor Kim Bodnia. I first discovered him watching the original Danish-Swedish version of The Bridge. <laughs> and But it's a pretty, like, serious and dark show. But then he would just burst out with this boisterous, beautiful laugh that 
<laughs> really just made me laugh. the sex socks And then I was just delighted to find that he was also in the show Killing Eve. He played Constantine. And that delicious laugh came along with him. (laughs) Every time I hear it, I laugh along with him. I think it's impossible not to. (laughs) Okay. Thanks again to Erica, Katie, and Alex. Listeners, do you have a culture geist? A thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days or weeks or even years? Share it with us. The more specific you are, the better. Send us a short voice memo at intuit at vulture.com. Intuit at vulture.com. Also, if you like this show and want to support it, we could use your help. Subscribe to Intuit on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And most importantly, share the show with your friends. Tell them about Intuit and ask them to listen. Every little bit helps. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders. The show is produced by Janae West, Travis Larchuk, Gabby Grossman, and Jelani Carter. Our fearless editor is Jordana Hochman. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. And Hannah Rosen is the head of audio at New York Magazine. All right, listeners, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Till then, I don't know, maybe try the pink sauce. All right, bye. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.